This is Global Tennessee, news analysis and commentary from the Tennessee World Affairs Council in Nashville. Global Tennessee is produced in association with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The World Affairs Council is a nonpartisan, nonprofit educational association, and the views expressed on Global Tennessee are those of the participants. Welcome to Global Tennessee, the podcast of the Tennessee World Affairs Council. I'm Patrick Ryan. Today we have several terrific guests who will bring the world to you in a very important way. For our opening roundtable, we're honored to be joined by Japan's Ambassador to the United States, uh, Shinsuke Sugiyama. After the break, we'll talk with Dr. Doug Jackson and Catherine Miller of Project Cure, a group that works to deliver repurposed medical equipment to over 130 countries around the world to support life-saving health care where it would otherwise not be available. So stay with us for that. But first, we welcome to Nashville and the Global Tennessee Podcast, uh, His Excellency uh, Ambassador Shinsuke Sugiyama. Well, thank you very much indeed. Uh, hello, everybody. Uh, this is Shinsuke Sugiyama, Japanese uh, new envoy. Uh, this is my 10th uh, month uh, together with my wife. And uh, we are very much enjoying the life in uh, inside Bel- D.C. as well as outside. And uh, I try to uh, visit as much as and many as possible uh, to outside of the uh, uh, D.C. And joining me in our uh, discussion with the ambassadors, John Scanapieco. John is a board member of the Tennessee World Affairs Council, as well as board chair of the Japan American Society of Tennessee. In his day job, John is a leader in the Baker Donaldson Global Business Team. Thanks for joining us today, John. Uh, thank you for having me, and I would like to welcome the ambassador to thank Tennessee. Uh, we're so glad to have you here. Thank you. Our listeners can uh, check the podcast notes for links to uh, biographies and more material on our conversation today. Uh, that will include resources that discuss why Japan is such an important partner of the United States and Tennessee. Our countries have been very close allies in national security and defense issues throughout the Cold War and up to today. We have been key economic partners, and Americans and Japanese have built bridges among us in educational, cultural, and people-to-people exchanges. Mr. Ambassador, as the top diplomat from Japan, you represent the government of Japan and the people of Japan to the United States. Uh, As such, uh, you're among the senior officials are responsible for the relationship between Tokyo and Washington. Uh, so how would you characterize uh, the current situation in the relationship, and uh, can you describe any challenges that the two countries face together? Well, to uh, begin with, uh, I think uh, I can uh, very much comfortably tell every listener that uh, the current U.S.-Japan uh, relation uh, 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 should be regarded as something couldn't be better you know, uh, this is my second tour to uh, be uh, stationed in Washington, the, the great uh, country of the United States of America and something. The first one uh, being uh, some 30 years ago or something as a first secretary, a junior uh, member of the embassy. In comparison to these days, 30 years ago or something, uh, with some reasons, uh, current sort of state of affairs of uh, US-Japan uh, uh, seems to be really, really good. Maybe uh, because of a really good sort of personal relationship between the two leaders, uh, but only uh, not only limited to that, but also to every single sort of corner of the uh, countries and the town. Uh, I'm going to just say something about the uh, Cherry Blossoms uh, festivities to be started uh, sometime at the end of this March for uh, two or three uh, weeks or something. Immediately after I and my beloved wife uh, Yoko got into town, uh, that was the very beginning of the festivities uh, last year and this year too. So mm-hmm. I'm going to just touch upon that. 
Great, great. Well, we're going to talk about uh, the, the cultural relationship uh, uh, as well. That's uh, an important uh, part of the relationship, especially here in Nashville, where we do have a, yeah. a very big uh, cherry blossom festival. We'll, we'll uh, turn to that uh, in just a moment. Uh, in, in your uh, impressive resume, you have uh, service in your country's embassy in Korea, and you have been in top positions in the Ministry of Foreign Affairs. So you're uh, you're a keen observer uh, and uh, decision maker in, in what's happening in, in security in East Asia. Can you talk to us about uh, the bilateral Japanese-U.S. Uh, security relationship? And and uh, we now have Mr. Trump going to uh, Vietnam to talk with the leader in North Korea. So this is an important issue for U.S.-Japanese relations. Indeed. Let me uh, uh, try to uh, start by saying that uh, at least uh, uh, viewed from Tokyo and viewed from Japan, U.S. is the single ally to us. You know, we have the uh, security treaty and security treaty arrangements uh, in which uh, uh, you uh, uh, are obligated uh, to defend Japan if uh, Japan is being attacked. And uh, uh, for that matter, uh, Japan is standing ready to uh, give uh, so-called uh, facility in areas, uh, namely military sort of bases in the soil of uh, Japan, for the sake of the defense of Japan, as well as for the sake of the maintenance of international peace and security of the Far East. So by doing that, I think uh, U.S.-Japan seems to be very much in deep cooperation for the security of Japanese uh, soil, as well as the, the region. Uh, U.S.-Japan kind of you know, security uh, partnership is the linchpin and the cornerstone uh, of the uh, bilateral as well as regional uh, peace and stability. Well, I, I can uh, speak firsthand to that. Uh, my In my Navy career, I was based in Yokosuka, Japan, oh, yes. and we worked very closely with the Japanese Maritime uh, Self-Defense Force. Yes. And there were many Americans who have served uh, in the Army, in the Air Force, in the Navy, in Japan and, and can provide testimony to the, the closeness of, of the relationship and how well uh, Japan and America worked in uh, mutual defense. Uh, just reminding our listeners, we're talking with the uh, ambassador uh, of Japan about uh, U.S.-Japanese relations, uh, economic uh, partnership, and, and more. And this is the Global Tennessee Podcast. I'm going to uh, ask uh, John Scanapieco, who's uh, with me here today, uh, to uh, talk a little bit uh, with the ambassador about the economic and trade and investment relationship. John? Uh, thank you, Pat. Uh, Mr. Ambassador, I look at uh, the relationship between Japanese, uh, Japan and Tennessee as very important to the yes. economic progress of this state. In fact, I would suggest that it's Japanese investment over 40 years ago yes. that was the catalyst for the economic growth that this state has experienced over that time period. In, I think currently half of all foreign investment in the state is Japanese, and that investment supports over 200,000 direct and indirect jobs in, in our state. What do you believe makes Tennessee so attractive to the Japanese uh, companies? I've been told by most uh, every single sort of investor from uh, my country saying that uh, Tennessee seems to be very much sort of invest, uh, investors comfortable uh, uh, in terms of the uh, geopolitical setup uh, and then uh, people's sort of, you know, uh, nature of uh, kindness and welcoming uh, uh, foreign investors, uh, maybe in particular Japanese, but uh, all in all kind of foreign investors and something. So uh, there will be no uh, kind of you know, wonder why 
something like uh, uh, 190 or so, nearly 200 uh, Japanese companies have been investing uh, so heavily, uh, producing uh, uh, 52,000 uh, uh, employments. Uh, uh, and uh, there, there are, of course, uh, quite uh, uh, famous uh, 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 leading businesses such as uh, Nissan, Bridgestone, Denso, Brother, and, uh, you know, all sorts of, you know, manufacturing companies or something, uh, producing uh, not simply uh, uh, importing Japanese, uh, you know, end product, but producing uh, uh, kind of you know, American products, uh, using American parts, American employment, American engine, American everything. So uh, that uh, seems to have been uh, changing the state of affairs uh, uh, in comparison to 30 years ago, something when I was first uh, stationed as a first secretary in dealing with bilateral trade. Well, thank you. Uh, I guess, do you have any suggestions of maybe how our state can strengthen that relationship with Japan? Well, I think uh, your state uh, has been uh, doing a very certainly beautiful uh, job uh, with the previous uh, governors and others. But I just met with the, uh, the new, newly elected Governor, uh, governor Lee, uh, who seems to be uh, even more forthcoming about uh, uh, doing uh, what uh, your people uh, seem to have been doing. Uh, so I'm very much hopeful that uh, in the years ahead, uh, under the leadership of new Governor Lee, uh, things are going to be even more forthcoming. Uh, uh, I, I know uh, there are quite a number of Japanese investors who are very much unwilling to do that further, and also uh, vice versa. We are very much willing to receive some of the investors and some of the uh, people coming uh, uh, from uh, uh, Tennessee or other certain states of the United States of America to uh, Japan. One uh, point uh, which I can uh, tell you is that inbound tourists uh, to Japan, uh, we had a target of uh, 40,000 something some time ago, but uh, we are already sort of you know, uh, achieved that target. By the way, uh, this year happens to be very certain rich year, but next year is going to be the year for Tokyo Olympics and Paralympics or something. So for that matter, we are very much certain to try to forthcoming and to invite uh, uh, much more uh, certain foreign tourists. But tourism is just only one uh, symbolic one. Well, I guess looking at increasing bilateral trade and investment between, uh, let's say, the United States, which would then include Tennessee and Japan, um, where, what do you see as the objectives of the upcoming negotiations between the U.S. and Japan yeah. on the free trade agreement? What, what would be Japan's objectives? Actually, uh, we are promoting the uh, kind of free trade uh, agreement with uh, many countries. Yes. Uh, my, uh, our sort of you know, uh, 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 wish uh, used to be uh, that uh, we would uh, like to go for TPP-12, but uh, with the presidential decision to withdraw from TPP-12, we are uh, already sort of you know, done uh, TPP 11, which uh, went into force uh, as of the 30th of uh, December last year. And then presumably as of the 1st of uh, February, EU-Japan uh, EPA-FTA uh, seems to have uh, become uh, uh, entered into force. Now, uh, uh, on the 26th uh, uh, summit meeting between the uh, President and Prime Minister, and prior to that, uh, 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 U.S. Uh, uh, Trade Representative Ambassador Bob Brighthizer and his opposite number, Minister Moteki, uh, made uh, kind of, you know, a meeting mind uh, so that the two leaders uh, 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 issued the joint statement in which, uh, after some necessary sort of, you know, internal uh, uh, procedures, uh, we uh, should... Uh, be in a position to commence a negotiation for a bilateral trade agreement. 
uh, 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 on goods and uh, as well as other certain sectors, including service within what we call the earlier earlier harvest. Uh, the uh, we are yet to commence uh, the, the the real negotiation or something, but sooner than later, I hope things are going to be uh, 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 got uh, started. And um, I do believe that uh, we are going to have uh, a very good sort of, you know, trade uh, deal between the two countries uh, to expand uh, Japanese kind of you know, trade uh, kind of agreements with TPP 11 and uh, EU Japan and then Japan US. Well, I'm hopeful that we will get to TPP 12. Oh, yes. Thank and you. I want to commend Japan for its leadership in um, bringing that agreement when I think a lot of people thought maybe that it would not be able to be successfully concluded, but for Japan's leadership. I, I, so I want to commend you for that effort because I think it's a very robust uh, and very powerful agreement. One thing is uh, that uh, I know uh, the uh, U.S. Uh, people, and particularly Mr. President, uh, seems to be uh, rather concerned about uh, not a small number of uh, uh, 68 or 69 billion of the uh, U.S. Uh, trade deficit uh, with Japan, uh, but uh, at the time when I was uh, stationed here as a young diplomat, the number was 50. So the number seems to have been increasing, uh, increased, but at the same time, the share uh, in the whole sort of U.S. Uh, deficit uh, used to be something uh, more than 50-some percent and something, but uh, thanks to our biggest neighbor, uh, the share uh, seems to have become uh, down uh, drastically from more than 50 to 8.6%. Yet the number is not small. So I do understand that uh, that is uh, something that we have to address, and that's something that uh, we should stand ready to do. In okay. comparison to China? Well, uh, not in comparison to China, not necessarily, but uh, that is uh, uh, something viewed from uh, bilateral. Uh, but of course, uh, when it comes to China, uh, we need China. China is a big uh, kind of market. China is a big mass and land mass and a huge history and something culture. So we need China, but we need China which should be more rule-based and which should be more engaged in international society as we do. Well, these, these are fascinating topics, and I wish we had more time to, to spend on right. uh, trade and investment. I agree with you. <laughs> uh, well, we, we, can, we can go as long as you can uh, yes. stay with us, but I, I think uh, your delegation has, has plans uh, for you otherwise. Uh, for our listeners, we're talking with uh, Ambassador of Japan to the United States, Shinsuke Sugiyama, and thank you, Mr. Ambassador, for being with us uh, today. You, uh, you mentioned the Cherry Blossom Festival, and clearly there are a lot of uh, bridges uh, built between Americans and Japanese. In education, culture, and so forth. As as you know, we have uh, a sister cities organization here in Nashville that uh, has come Kamakura, Japan, as uh, a sister city, and we uh, we have a very robust uh, cherry blossom festival. But there's uh, many many ways that uh, people of Japan and the United States uh, connect. Can you talk a little bit about the importance of these uh, these ties uh, beyond uh, national defense and uh, economic? issues, but the personal relationships between Americans and well, Japanese. Well, it is indeed very important. I can't agree with you more. Uh, uh, within this uh, time limit, I think I can only say that uh, this uh, Cherry Blossom festivities elsewhere in uh, 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 West Coast, in Los Angeles and San Francisco, in uh, Nashville too, but in Washington, D.C., I was stunned immediately after I and my wife uh, uh, came into town uh, there was the beginning of the, uh, the commencement ceremony and something of the uh, Cherry Blossom festivities uh, last year. 
And I was told at the, the end of the day, uh, within the uh, two uh, fortnight and a half or three weeks or something, altogether 1.5 million people gathered, Japanese and Americans, mostly Americans. And then uh, there seems to be already a sort of, you know, standing committee by Americans, not by Japanese government or Japanese embassy or Japanese people. So it seems to have become American festivities celebrating Japanese cherry blossoms or something, which was done in 1910 or 1903 or something. So this alone shows how much deeper the uh, grassroots kind of relations become this much good. And I was really stunned to see, and I was really stunned to be uh, 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 taking a ride of the uh, 1948 uh, old, uh, very beautiful Cadillac uh, open car in a parade towards the very end of the uh, 50 cars parade. That was my first and my worst first time to say hello to everybody. Excellent, uh, excellent. Well, we don't have uh, 50 car parades here in Nashville, <laughs> but I, I guarantee you we have a, a first class uh, cherry blossom festival. And, and we're blessed that uh, in Nashville here we have uh, the consulate, our, our only our only foreign consulate here in Nashville is uh, the consulate of Japan, and we're we're very happy that uh, Consul General Kobayashi is is here that we can uh, call upon for maintaining our connections with uh, between the United States and we Japan. We send, by the way, only the best and brightest to you, and this is the single foreign establishment here, Mr. Ambassador. That's that's obvious to us who have uh, who have met the consul general, and and we we're very thankful that he's here. Uh, as well, the Japan American Society of Tennessee does great work in, in keeping these these bridges together. Any final thoughts as we close out our uh, podcast here? Well, uh, only to say that uh, the whole of my appreciation goes to you and you and everybody in Tennessee and everybody in Nashville. Thank you very much indeed. Well, thank you very much for your time today. Thank you. This is the uh, Global Tennessee Podcast. We've been talking with Ambassador of Japan, Shinsuke Sugiyama, who is here in Nashville for a, a visit. And we hope he will be back for a Nashville Cherry Blossom Festival and uh, spend more time with us talking about these uh, important issues that, that bind the United States and Japan together. Thank we you, try. Mr. Ambassador. Thank you. Thank you. That's it for uh, our roundtable segment. Uh, stay tuned. After the break, we're going to be talking with uh, Doug Jackson and uh, Catherine Miller about the Project Cure. You're listening to Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council. We invite you to share your thoughts with us in email, info at tnwac.org. You can subscribe to the World Affairs Council newsletter on the website, tnwac.org. And you can like us on Facebook at Tennessee WAC as well as follow us on Twitter at TNWAC. Don't forget to tell your friends about Global Tennessee and the World Affairs Council. This podcast and other educational programs from the World Affairs Council are supported by you and our sponsors. Are you interested in supporting global affairs awareness in your community? Visit TNWAC.org for more information. Welcome back to Global Tennessee. This is Pat Ryan from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We have a terrific interview segment today. We're going to be talking with Dr. Doug Jackson and Catherine Miller about Project Cure, which is the Commission on Urgent Relief and Equipment. And uh, welcome, uh, uh, Doug and Catherine, to Nashville. Catherine, you're a Nashvilleian uh, now, but uh, 
Welcome to the World Affairs Council. Uh, thanks for uh, for coming in. Thanks for having us. Uh, we're going to talk about Project Cure, uh, which uh, the Commission on Urgent Relief and Equipment, and uh, just a, a brief description, and then uh, then we'll jump in here with uh, with Doug and Catherine. Project Cure was founded in 1987 by James Jackson, uh, Doug's uh, father, who was working on uh, as an international economic consultant in developing countries when his work put him face to face with the needs of the sick and dying. During a trip to Brazil, Dr. Jackson visited a small clinic near Rio de Janeiro where he learned that patients were often turned away due to a lack of basic medical supplies. Uh, Jackson was moved to action, making a promise to the clinic doctor that he would help provide relief to the people there. So we're going to uh, uh, talk about uh, Project Cure with uh, Doug and Catherine and uh, let you know what the, the Nashville connection is to that. Uh, but first, uh, Doug, again, uh, welcome. and. Uh, uh, tell us uh, how this all happened and how you got involved and, and uh, what the, uh, the history of the organization is and, and uh, take it away. Well, thank you. Thanks for having us. Uh, this is great. You bet. My, uh, my dad was the one, as you mentioned, that, was, that started Project Cure back in 1987. When I was a little kid, two years old, my folks moved to, to Denver to seek their fortune. And uh, my dad got involved in the real estate industry up in the mountains and this in the late 60s, early 70s and developed a lot of uh, Winter Park and a little bit of Vale. He was buying West Vale Valley at $125 an acre from the old Basque Shepherds who were out there. Wow. Today, they won't even sell you the property. They'll land lease it to you, cause it, but it's just, it truly is priceless. Right and, place, uh, right time. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and they did well. They, they got, as you could imagine, very, very, very wealthy. Um, those big 600 Mercedes, that was our go-to-church car on Sundays, you know. My brother and I thought it was cool because it had curtains in the back, and the back seat would recline almost flat, you know. It was just, it would do, who, who does that, right? Right. But my folks figured out that you can be rich and not happy. Uh, that's the big myth that we tell in America all the time is if you want to be happier, just get richer. And it just doesn't work that way. You can put, you know, millions and millions of dollars in the bank, and you're still miserable. And um, there's no correlation. There's rich happy people and there's poor happy people <laughs> and rich miserable people and poor miserable people sure but for my folks they really felt like uh, they had an opportunity to do something different so they started a foundation and they gave their money away and my dad started doing economic consulting as a way to give back his experience and his knowledge of how to make money and that took him to Zimbabwe first which is a whole nother story and they ended up in Peru and Ecuador and finally in Brazil working with President Sarney and this was in the mid 80s and uh, Brazil's economy was melting down then. <laughs> My, how things change, right? Right, and, uh, <laughs> yeah. Brazil, the country of the future, and always will be. Right, right, right. And um, so, yeah, I was just down there a couple of times this, this year. We're, we're doing another project here. You know, what, 30, 32 years later, we're still working in Brazil, uh, and it just kind of ebbs and flows. But at that time, the economy was in such dire shape that the... the um, Inflation rate was about 3,000% a year, and um, they just couldn't afford medical supplies. Well, my dad's interpreter was a medical student. Lorena's mom was a doctor, and so they invited my dad to go with them to see this little favela clinic. And my dad walked into this house, and, and the front room was the exam room, and there was an old metal examination table and one of those sort of 1950s-style glass front metal boxes, you know, and they had some some Band-Aids in there and some aspirin, and, and they had turned the bedroom into a, 
pediatrics ward, and that had a baby scale and some Walt Disney posters, and that was it. Wow. And it just tore my dad's heart out. And of course, he, you know, he was used to U.S. medicine and, and looked at this doctor and said, well, how, how can you do this? And, and um, the guy just said, well, we're poor. So my dad went back to Denver and told that story to a group of friends, and one of his buddies, a guy named Greg Lowe, had a medical wholesale company, and he said, if you'll come down, he said, I'll give you stuff. And they they filled both sides of my mom and dad's garage full of stuff. And uh, about 30 days later, my parents paid to ship that first ocean freight container down to Brazil. What year was this? 87. <clears throat> and so then Lorena's College, the, the university in, in Campinas, Brazil, found out what he had done for that guy and they said well hey could you help us at the university hospital and then one of the professors there uh decided that she wanted to start a, a facility for you know little kids with cancer in brazil so uh, she start, started the boldrini cancer institute and my dad was the first one in there with the supplies and equipment for her and then the soviet union came apart and then hurricane mitch hit honduras and the next thing you know he's off to the races i had been um by by training, I'm a lawyer, um, so don't kick me out <laughs> for that, right? PhD and JD, you're an impressive. Yeah. Uh, and the PhD, I, I thank you. I went back to get the PhD in finance, thinking I wanted to go to Wall Street and just make a little more money than my dad did, you know. And he kept telling me, he said, you know, look, kid, you're 29 years old, you got two earned doctorates, you passed the bar when you were 23, and no student loans. He said that's a gift, and you need to give back on that. So I landed in San Diego for five years teaching finance and real estate at the college university level, thinking that that was going to be my charity, which just living in San Diego, looking at the beach every day is not exactly a nonprofit gig. Sure, <laughs> sure. But when it's I not got, a bad gig, but it's, <laughs> no, it's a really fun, <laughs> fun thing to do, you know. So, yeah, it was beautiful. I was there for two of the America's Cup races and got to know all the sailors. It just was a blast. It was fun. But I was tired of, acad- of academics because it just moves so slow. So yeah. I told my dad, I said, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm out. And I ended up, uh, I, was, I was looking at going to work again. And um, he said, you know, I could use some help with this Project Here thing. So my friend Dave, uh, he's a big, tall, gregarious guy I met in San Diego. And my friend Doreen, she'd been a runway model. And I thought, well, Dave likes people. He could help my dad get more volunteers. And Doreen's beautiful. If she asks, people will write her checks. And, and she did, and they did. and. I was going to do that, you know, back office thing and help my dad with all of the business thing. And in six months, we, the three of us are going to go do something different. Well, that was 1997, and I've been here ever since. <laughs> it's it's amazing how things uh, will get in, into your blood, and the next thing right. you know, you're looking in a rearview mirror, and it, it's uh, decades of accomplishment. Yeah. Well, that's a terrific story, and I'll, I'll note also for our listeners that um, – you are a, a Rotarian, and, and that certainly yep. uh, is, is an important uh, facet of the, of the story. Uh, Rotary's uh, ethos of service above self also gets in your blood. I'm, right. I'm a right, Rotarian right. from back in, the, in Cookville days, and yeah. uh, you're also involved in World Affairs Councils, having been the chairman of the uh, World Denver Right. Uh, World Affairs Council. So you've had right. the World Affairs Council Kool-Aid, and I'm, oh, yeah. I'm sure you'll tell our listeners that uh, they should join their nearest World Affairs Council, which might happen to be this one, and uh, and if they uh, feel like writing a check, we, we, uh, uh, we'd appreciate that as well. But Well, it's uh, so important to the to the community dialogue, you know? I mean, mm-hmm. what, 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 and I'll put my Denver World Affairs Council hat on, but what we do as World Affairs Councils, yours, Denver's, all over the country, is we really bring a different 
level of conversation to the fabric of our community. And it really is one of those things where, you know, you can read about it in the newspaper or online or whatever. That's a different thing than having a conversation about it. And when you, when you get in with a group of like-minded people who want to go deeper than a 30-second news bite and really learn and understand, and it, I, it just it makes us richer as people. That makes, you know, in our souls, in our minds, it makes our communities better places to live. Anyway, I'm, I'm a huge fan of what you're doing, so you keep that up, Pat. Oh, thanks, thanks. Yeah. It's, uh, we, we believe it's an important part of our community and uh, work hard to uh, bring the world to, uh, to Nashville and Tennessee. Let's jump into uh, the, the meat of what you do. Um, you're, you're involved in 130 countries. Right. And deliver over 240-foot containers per year around the world of medical equipment. Right. And also involved in, uh, in some services, uh, uh, sending uh, teams of medical per- uh, personnel overseas, um, training programs like helping babies breathe and helping mothers survive. Right. Let's talk a little bit about uh, where the rubber hits the road. What, what do you guys, uh, what are you doing these days? <laughs> Well, when our team is really on, on, on point, they can do four to five semi-truck trailers a week, which is unbelievable because I don't know anybody in the world that's doing that volume of medical supplies and equipment. And right. we're, we're going into communities where, you know, I was just in Oaxaca, Mexico last week and uh, met this little mom who uh, 14 days prior, her little baby had died because there was no room in the incubator and they didn't have enough equipment. There was no NG tubes. They couldn't keep that little baby alive. That's wrong, you know, right. and, and, and in this country, we have so much of this stuff that we wasted, sadly. I mean, we waste everything, computers, we waste medical supplies. Sure. And so what Project Cure does is we go ask the hospitals here in, in Nashville and around uh, if, if they will donate the ventilators and the x-ray machines and the uh, anesthesia machines and, and the gloves and the gauze and the needles and syringes and suture. We put it in these big containers. One of the things that's interesting about Project Cure is we never ship anything until we do a needs assessment. And that's really critical because you have to go there. I call it the, the three C's. Character, do you really trust these people? Capacity, can they use it? And customs, can you get in in the country? And I, I want to do this t-shirt that says you can't Skype this stuff because <laughs> you have to actually go sit down and talk to these people and look. The and, laws of physics apply. You have to absolutely. move containers and... Uh, yep. And yeah. make sure that you trust the people. And make sure you're not sending, you know, stupid stuff. You don't want to send eye care kits to maternity clinics. It just doesn't work. And the only way that I know to, to test those three is you just go on the airplane. So we did over 300 needs assessments last year. We probably have more data about third world health care than the WHO at this point. How big is your staff? We have 30, 35 paid people. We have 25,000. We'll probably break 30,000 volunteers. So we have about 1,000 volunteers for every paid staff. Wow. Um, which is kind of a remarkable thing, too. We're, we're here in Nashville. Home is Denver. We have a warehouse in Phoenix, one in Houston, one in Chicago, and one in Philly. So there's six of these. We're looking at putting another one probably in L.A., uh, Dallas, Central Michigan, Central Florida. Because there's that much stuff, there's that many nurses and doctors who want to get involved, and I can tell you the need in just a country like, like Nigeria. Here's a crazy statistic. Somebody said, if you want to understand Nigeria, take half of the population of the United States and make them all live in Texas, and that's Nigeria. And they are the fastest growing country in Af- in Africa. Well, unfortunately, and and uh, as as anybody who's involved in world affairs councils knows, 
and, and can appreciate what Americans do and do not know about the world. Right. Uh, understanding what's going on in Africa is right. very far down on uh, on the awareness. It's, right. not, it's not in the news. Uh, you know, there's an election going on in, in, uh, in Nigeria uh, mm-hmm. this month and uh, important uh, changes happening. Uh, it's important to U.S. Uh, economic interests. The, uh, it's a uh, critical supplier of, of oil to the global oil market. Uh, a lot, a lot happening there. Insurgencies to the the north and uh, Boca the Haram, east right. and, and so forth. So there's right. there's lots happening there. And and uh, for you guys to be involved in in a significant way of making a difference, that's uh, that's terrific. I'll I'll ask one question uh, regarding Nigeria. I I uh, read with interest that you're the son of a Nigerian <laughs> chieftain. Chief. <laughs> Tell tell us uh, if you can about that uh, piece of your your uh, legend. Well, they made my dad uh, when um, President Obasanjo was the head of Nigeria. Uh, they made him a chief Uzoma of Nkume, and and uh, the funny thing is, my dad is about a six foot two redhead guy. His hair is going white. <laughs> he does not look at all. So uh, on the bottom, doesn't look Nigerian. <laughs> nor do I. <laughs> But he's, it's the real deal. They they made him a chief, and he's got the robes and all of the stuff, and, and um, uh, it's kind of a cool deal. So when, when he would go over, he would actually dress as the tribal chief and uh, and, and, and sit with all the other chiefs, and, you know, it's it, it's a pretty fun thing. So Much grabby's um, ass. Yeah, so it was kind of a neat thing. But, yeah, people show up, and they're, they're looking for somebody uh, who's not quite as pink as I am <laughs> <laughs> when they think I'm a Nigerian chief's son. Well, that's great. Let me remind our listeners, uh, this is the uh, Global Tennessee Podcast from the Tennessee World Affairs Council. We're talking with uh, Dr. Uh, Doug Jackson, the uh, president and CEO of Project Cure, which is the Commission on Urgent Relief and Equipment. And uh, we're learning uh, a great deal about this very important work that he and uh, the people of Project Cure do. And uh, we're, uh, we're going to talk with uh, Catherine Miller about the Nashville connection uh, to this. Catherine, uh, what's what's your role in, in this tremendous uh, organization? So I am the local executive director of our Nashville market. So I am tasked with um, being in charge of our ambassador board, and we are in the process of developing a young professionals board. And um, I would love to welcome everybody to come out and visit us. We're at 2300 Clifton Avenue, right off the Charlotte Pike Corridor. Terrific, and there's a warehouse here for yes. Project Your Equipment, and so uh, tell us how, how the warehouse gets filled. Is that a, a local effort? Um, you're, you're calling people, or? It is a local effort. We have an operations director who has forged relationships with a lot of our procurement partners here in the area, and so when they are ready to discard their supplies and equipment, they will call him up, and we have a truck, and we'll drive out there and get it. Sometimes they will deliver it directly to us. So both of those avenues work. And and uh, what sorts of things do you collect here in, in Nashville that uh, make a difference, and where do they go? So last year we sent 30 containers um, out of the Nashville Distribution Center, and we sent them mostly to African countries. We had a couple in South America as well. Um, and we will collect anything from sutures and bandages to tables and um, x-ray equipment and infant incubators. So tell us how someone in uh, Nashville who's just learning about this who might have a lead on 
some of this material uh, can can get in touch with you if they if they don't stop by your office. What's the phone number, email, website? The best thing to do is to go to projectcure.org and check out the website, or you can email Marty Blank, our operations director, and he's M-A-R-T-Y-B-L-A-N-K at projectcure.org, and he will handle all the procurement needs. And and you see uh, you know, the volunteer state stepping up in, in this regard? Absolutely. We um, have a tremendous amount of volunteers. We have about 30 core volunteers that come in and spend their time with us every week. And then we are always welcoming corporations, school groups, church groups, civic groups. Great. Everybody's welcome. Well, a, b- a big tip to the hat to uh, to you in, in Nashville and uh, and Doug, the work that uh, you're doing nationwide you. and worldwide. Uh, what, uh, what last comments do you want to leave our listeners with as far as uh, Project Cure and the difference that uh, you guys are making? Well, I just think that, you know, if, if there, we've saved thousands and thousands and thousands of lives. I tell my team, you know, if you wanted to measure the people that we touch in one year, we're filling up football stadiums full of people. And I guess the encouragement, first of all, we would love to have everybody get involved. Uh, you know, what Catherine is saying, we'll probably have uh, three or 4,000 volunteers from this community right here in our big warehouse, 50,000 square foot warehouse. Uh, and there's room for more. So that would be really great. But even if somebody doesn't come down and volunteer the project here, this notion that you have to wait for a written engraved invitation to get involved in the world, not so. Right. Get involved now. Do something. I mean, the audacity of my dad, a real estate developer with a kid who's a lawyer, right? Tell me two more unlikely people who are going to change the world in that. And for us to just go out and just decide to do it, and to get involved in, in communities and actually start rewriting the history of people in these communities and, and rewrite it for good. There's enough bad going on right. that, you know, you get involved and it's just you say, okay, I, I, I choose to step up for good. I choose to step up and save people's lives. I choose to make their suffering go away. I choose to help people. I choose to get a whole lot of people in the United States involved and in reaching across the ocean and helping other people. Why? Nobody asked us to do it. It wasn't like, you know, the governor had the special proclamation the Jackson family supposed to go, you know, change the world. We just did it. Right. And, you know, some people don't have time to start their own 501c3. Then get involved in somebody else's, you know. Oh, you there's plenty to. plenty of organizations like yours that people can just uh, jump in, or whether Absolutely. it's writing a check or or uh, right. picking, picking up a hammer at Habitat or, or right. whatever. There are, well, there's there's lots of things. Come to, to the World Affairs Council stuff, you know, get get involved. But it, it just, you can't change the world by sitting on your chair, and it just doesn't work, you know. The, the couch is not the place to change the world. You get up, get out of the house, go down there and do something, and take a little bit of a risk. And the reward for that is you do absolutely get to change the world. So I would just encourage people, don't be shy. Don't be modest. Don't wait for the invitation. If, if you're looking for one, you got one from us. And so just uh, let, 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 let's see what we can do to actually make a difference. So what's that website again, Catherine? It's www.projectcure.org. Terrific. Well, uh, thank you for coming in and talking hey, thanks to for having uh, us. This is great. the Global Tennessee Podcast. And we hope that uh, our listeners will, will get involved. Uh, if nothing else, they are aware of what you do and how you do it. And uh, at a minimum, they'll take a look at your website and write a check. If, thank you. Uh, if not, get involved in some other way. We would appreciate it tremendously. 
Thanks again for coming in. This has been the Global Tennessee Podcast brought to you by the Tennessee World Affairs Council. You can find out more about the Tennessee World Affairs Council at tnwac.org. Uh, check out uh, our member uh, page. We encourage you to join and become a member. That's how we pay the light bill or write a check to uh, uh, the Tennessee World Affairs Council right after you write one to the Project Cure folks. Thank you. And uh, we will uh, look forward to uh, bringing you a podcast uh, again in the, the near future. Thanks. Bye. This has been Global Tennessee from the World Affairs Council in cooperation with the Center for International Business at Belmont University and the International Business Council of the Nashville Area Chamber of Commerce. The executive producer of Global Tennessee is Patrick Ryan, senior producer Logan Monday, technical advisor Bill Ryan, and the voice of Global Tennessee as well as the Penn Jones Conspiracy. I'm Benjamin Olson. Visit tnwac.org podcast for more information. 